Ryan Beasy. This is the Westminster Standard Podcast. Today we'll be discussing a decision of the General Assembly Standing Judicial Commission related to an instance of a woman filling the pulpit of a PCA congregation in Rye, New York, part of Metro New York Presbytery. Uh, the decision has been sent out to the parties and has a number of issues and tasks given to the Presbytery as well as the Review of Presbytery Records Committee of the General Assembly uh, to try to resolve this issue, to promote unity and uh, truth uh, within the Presbyterian Church in America. Thanks for joining the program. Today I'm joined by Teaching Elder Stephen O'Neill. Stephen, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, um, we showed the video just a moment ago of, of, of some selections from uh, Mrs. Rutledge's uh, address at, uh, at, at the church in Rye, uh, New York. Yes. I, what I are we... Of transcribing that. For, uh, for the record of the case. So uh, wow. I listen to it and yeah, really, really savor every moment. Wow. Yes. Well, um, how, how did, let's, let's just, for the sake of our, our listeners or our viewers, how did this get to the Standing Judicial Commission? Uh, can you walk us through uh, that process? Because you it came through Review of Presbytery Records. How did, how did it get from Review of Presbytery Records to a Judicial Commission? Because some people would say, well, why not just cite them with an exception of substance? How did we get here? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, so I'll start at the beginning, and then we'll get to more proximately how we got where we are. You know, that's a very good place to start, I've heard, yeah, at the beginning. We're not going to start at the end and do a flashback. Um, so so uh, what uh, the way that Review of Presbytery Records works is that all of the presbyteries submit their, their records to the assembly once a year um, at a, on a sort of a specified, within a specified time frame, um, in accord with a requirement in, I think it's BCO 12-11. Uh, and then Review of Presbyterian Records is responsible for reviewing said records um, and recommending that the assembly uh, judge those records um, according to sort of a prescribed rubric. Um, and so the assembly, the, the Review of Presbyterian Records, we review all the minutes, we discuss our recommendations, we produce a very thick report that the assembly ideally reads, but I suspect not everyone <laughs> reads it because it is very long and sometimes quite detailed. Um, so the assembly uh, entrusts RPR with, I think, a lot of, of, of the work. They, they trust that the men there are doing the work, doing it well, so that they don't actually have to read with great excruciating detail that hundred and something page report. Um, and then they, they vote on the recommendations that, um, that the committee gives. And so uh, the, the subcommittee, they're called read teams on RPR, that was assigned the minutes of Metro New York Presbytery, uh, saw what was recorded in those minutes. Um, and it, what was recorded in those minutes was basically uh, an investigation into a matter happening at a particular church in that presbytery, where there was an allegation raised by someone outside of the presbytery, a communication was sent um, from someone in a different presbytery to the stated clerk that it appeared that a, a woman had preached at that church um, in, in the vicinity of uh, Reformation Sunday um, in, I believe, 2021, if I'm remembering things correctly. Uh, and so they did an investigation, um, not not a sort of a sort of a not a, a super duper like intense one, it seems, um, but sort of looked into the matter and uh, asked the pastor some questions and sort of concluded that the matter was resolved. And the was there uh, an acknowledgement that oh this is probably the wrong thing for us to do, or was it just 
well, how did that investigation, the initial investigation by the Presbytery, conclude? What was what was their finding? So, so the initial um, was that the original. So, the, so the, the there was no action taken with respect to the investigation. It didn't recommend any action. Um, the the teaching elder of the of the church sort of expressed his views on the matter, um, and really, it was it was the expression of the teaching elder's views on the matter that um, that was really at the heart of what Reviewer of Presbytery Records uh, recommended to the assembly. So, um, Reviewer of Presbytery Records uh, made a, a, a recommendation that the assembly find that the minutes of Metropolitan New York Presbytery um, from a specified day uh, constitutes a, quote, credible report of a, quote, important delinquency or grossly unconstitutional proceedings, which is the standard language from BCO 40-5. Um, and specifically in Presbytery's delinquency to redress a session who admitted to unconstitutional proceedings of one, permitting a woman to expound the scriptures during a worship service on the Lord's day, two, holding many worship services without preaching, and three, serving the Lord's supper at many services without a preceding sermon. And so um, those were the things that were, as it were communicated in the investigation where questions were submitted to the teaching elder and he responded. Um, and yeah, what was clear from the responses was that yes, a particular woman did get up in front of the church and to talk about the Bible uh, for an extended period of time during the worship service. Um, at the same time, the teaching elder said that that didn't constitute a sermon. And in fact, there are many times that there hasn't been a sermon preached during worship because there are people like uh, um, interns who might get up in the pulpit and, and expound the scriptures. And well, they don't consider that to be a sermon. That would be an exhortation. Uh, in, I don't recall in, exactly if that's what he, um, I don't recall exactly what the, what, the, what the teaching elder said, but there was a distinction made between someone who's licensed and someone who is ordained and everyone else. Sure. Um, yes. And, and that, that, there's an argument to be made from our polity that that is a fair distinction. Uh, however, yes, so, uh, so I would say the, the, that the, that the reviewer, the, 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 the uh, representatives of RPR uh, who put this case before the SJC would strongly disagree with that, but we don't need to get into that point right now. Um, but, but so, so these are just the things that arose from the report, um, from, from the minutes, from the, uh, uh, the investigation into the teaching elder and the views underlying, uh, the act what, what happened at that church, um, on, on that particular Sunday. And so the, the read team was, I wasn't on the read team. Um, but you know, I spoke with people on it and they were, they were sort of, a flabbergasted maybe by what what they saw yes um, in terms of what happened and then how what happened was not in their judgment adequately addressed in admission of error or any sort of sort of uh, admonition um to the church to the teaching elder uh, that would be sufficient for the offense that was committed and so the read team um judged and then recommended this judgment to RPR, which then agreed with the Reed team, and then recommended the judgment to the assembly, which then agreed with RPR. Um, it recommended that this circumstance be found to constitute something greater than an exception of substance, which is the normal, uh, one of the normal categories right. which RPR will sort um, errors made by presbyteries there's no which is you know you forget that the dot a t cross an i i mean most of the min the mins are typed so you don't really 
forget the dot, t, the dot I's and cross T's, but um, typographical errors, things like that. Yes, as a notation or an exception yeah. form versus an exception of substance. And this was something more egregious, more flagrant in violation of our Constitution than even an exception of substance, yes. to the point that the, uh, the Assembly found that this was ne needing to be addressed by our judicial commission, yes. not just uh, the review of presbytery records. Correct. And, and so our government recommended this. The assembly uh, 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 voted in the affirmative. Acted on it. Right. Yes, acted on 77 percent, as I recall. Uh, that's, I knew it was, it was a fairly it was fairly substantial in my recollection. I don't remember how much that does sound accurate to me. Um, and so we cited, therefore, Metro New York to appear before the J SJC. Um, we being the General Assembly, not the Review of Presbytery Records Committee, as an important point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The RPR makes no, RPR can take no actions. RPR can it, do nothing. It, make, it makes recommendations. And frankly, yes. and this, this, this is actually, I think, fairly important. Um, if we do get, when we get to the decision of the case, RPR actually has um, incredibly broad power, the, the broad, broad ability to recommend things to the Assembly. Um, it, it can... If you read what RAO 16 says RPR can recommend, it basically can recommend anything. Um, yes. And so RPR can certainly, in the judgment of the assembly, because the assembly uh, received our recommendation, as, as well as uh, of RPR itself, and as well as the uh, the representatives of RPR who argued for the SJC, uh, RPR can certainly generate a 40-5. Um, that the then assembly acts upon because a 40-5 can't really come before the SJC apart from assembly action. Correct. Yes. And, and as on the screen here, the report yeah. of the committee, that is the Review of Presbytery Records Committee, shall be concise. Perhaps they should be reminded of that next year. <laughs> yeah, we, it we, shall we. include the following. And then uh, letter D is any other recommendation to the assembly. So it gives a number of recommendations that are, are typical, but then any other recommendation. Yeah. And, and, and again, these were simply recommendations from the committee to the assembly, and then the assembly decided this matter is so egregious, so flagrant a violation of our Constitution, we want the Judicial Commission uh, to address it. Yeah. And so and let's I, look at... Oh, go ahead. I, I will say, I, I, it's hard to judge the intentions of the assembly, but you know the speech is made for the recommendation of RPR, uh, as well as the speech made from RPR's representative from the front. They really did focus in on the, the the egregiousness of the nature that this is beyond uh, what would be a regular exception of substance, right? Um, right. Which would because yeah, there, there's there's fairly specific language in forty five, a grossly unconstitutional proceedings as opposed yeah. to just a normal run of the mill unconstitutionality. Um, yeah, you forgot to record a guy's differences. You, yeah. you forgot to record that, you know, his internship was approved, something like that, yeah, which would be an exception serious, of substance. Serious exceptions. They need to be responded to, but there's a, the assembly thought that there was another level yes. and therefore acted upon it in this way. Yes. Well, let's look at what the, uh, what the General Assembly's Judicial Commission uh, decided. Uh, the, the SJC remits this matter to Metropolitan New York Presbytery with the injunction that they take up and dispose of the matter in a constitutional manner. Metro New York Presbytery has addressed this matter in the minutes indicated of August 8th and September 19, 2023. So this was after General Assembly. Mm -hmm. The Presbytery shall complete its work of dealing with teaching elder Higgins and the session of Trinity Presbyterian Church, Rye, New York, 
and report the results of the work to the Committee on the Review of Presbyterian Records for the 51st General Assembly. So they, the SJC is not just, um, you, to use a sports term, punting on this matter. They've established a deadline, and they've told them uh, what to do. Now, so it, when, when I first you know, read this, I thought, well, it does sound like the, the Judicial Commission is punting, but really the, the Judicial Commission has issued a strong uh, ruling here. After all, they had an out, in a sense, if they didn't want to rule on this. Um, they could have considered the, the pastor's brief expounding of the word prior to the Lord's Supper as a sermon, if they'd wanted to. Uh, but they did not. They go on to acknowledge a number of errors the presbytery does in, in their minutes. Um, let's see, what, what, uh, what do we have here? The position of Metro New York Presbytery that an exception of exposition of the word by a woman shall not take place, shall not take the place of the ordinary sermon in public worship services in the church within its bounds. It is the position of the presbytery that only qualified men should preach to God's people during public worship services. Uh, we do not believe the principle that a woman can do whatever an unordained man can do is to be applied to the preaching in public worship services. Furthermore, it is the position of Metro New York Presbytery uh, that it is permissible for unordained and unlicensed men to occasionally preach. Though allowing this woman to teach in the place of a sermon only happened once, the Presbytery has informed the church's senior pastor and the session that this practice is unconstitutional and they are not to repeat it in the future. Uh, the senior pastor and session agreed to submit to the will of the Presbytery on this matter. So the Presbytery has already done that. And SJC said what about that? Yeah, so the SJC, uh, as it were, and and frankly, the, the representatives of, of the assembly who brought the case, argued the case before the SJC, these are these are good, uh, good affirmations. Yes. Um, these are these are, you know, good things in accord with our, our constitutional standards and scripture. So we're very pleased with those things. And and as it were, the SJC, uh, I think, was 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 pleased with those things. Presbytery said that it holds our standards and the application of those standards in the Book of Church Order to be true, accurate and obligatory. Yes. Which, which is good. Um, yeah, but, but the SJC said that's not enough. Yes, correct. Right. So, mm -hmm. so the SJC did not just punt on this. They they said that's good. That's a good start. But um, uh, so the Presbytery has acknowledged some errors. Uh, Presbytery acknowledged it failed to address the views of a teaching elder who approved of these proceedings. And importantly, the Presbytery did clarify, as you alluded to earlier, that the mini worship service without preaching did have an exposition of the word, but it was not by a licensed or ordained man, mm -hmm. uh, which is why they called it a message as opposed to preaching. And, and you know, I, I've, I've often been puzzled as to what is the difference between a, a, an exhortation or a message and a sermon? Mm -hmm. Really, you know, a, your typical person in the pew isn't going to know a difference uh, there. Yeah. Well, I, I will say on that on that point, the, the reason why Review of Presbytery Records included that in its citation is because we're working on the basis of what's in the records in front of us. Right. You only know what you know. Yeah, we only know what we know. And what we saw was someone said there are many worship services without preaching. Right. And, and that's like, a point. Oh. And, 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 you know, we're happy that, you know, the issue is that, yes, you know, a distinction was made between preaching 
and exhorting or, or a message. I think message is the term that they used. Um, but based on what we were shown, what we saw, right. and based on therefore what Presbytery also heard, because our understanding is that what Presbytery knows and received is contained in the record that we have. Yes. You know, if, if Presbytery hears from someone that there's regular worship services without preaching, that should be a, a serious cause for concern and require serious investigation. So that's why we included those things. We're very happy sure. they ended up not really being issues at the end of the day. That's that's the way we want all uh, citations uh, whether uh, and references uh, to conclude that, oh, it was just a, yes. a matter of re- recording it incorrectly. And as I when I, I serve on our Presbytery's review of session records, and that's one of the things I try to emphasize is it doesn't necessarily mean you did anything wrong when we cite you with an exception of substance when Presbytery does. It's just recorded in a way that raises questions. Please uh, remove our, our alarm, our suspicion by providing a clarification. Mm-hmm. Now, the the presbytery asked, and I believe this was after the uh, referral from the General Assembly to the Judicial yeah. Commission, the session of the ministers uh, were asked regarding their views in our confession of faith and larger catechism related to the preaching of, of the word, uh, public worship, uh, and they replied they have no exceptions. Yes. Uh, which is, of course, the wrong verb there. Um, <laughs> yes, when, and, we state no differences. Yes, yes. So the and, and that is one area where the Judicial Commission noted an inadequate uh, response. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that only occurred after, again, the citation to the Judicial Commission. So there is questions you know, raised, which cannot be answered, as to how the Presbytery would have addressed this had there not been a, a, a citation to appear before the Judicial Commission. But the SJC wondered... How can you say you have uh, no differences? Well, we take no exceptions uh, to those larger catechism and Westminster 21.5 when you allowed this to happen. Uh, I think it's an important point to note that you do not take exception to the Constitution. You you state your differences, if you have any, and the court determines whether to grant you an exception for your wrong views. And it looks like both the Presbytery and the session failed to grasp this based on what I read in the uh, the commission's decision. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I actually, you may be right there. I, I was, when I read the decision, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that. And unfortunately, I sort of generally assume that people are going to sort of not exactly parse difference and exception and exception correctly. I will say though that, um, yeah, what, what, what the, the issue and this is where the 40-5 gets a little bit tricky and confusing because the 40-5 is against the presbytery as the court next below. Yes. And the presbytery, in its responsibilities, supervises the courts next below it, namely sessions, as well as the teaching elders who are members of presbytery. So when presbytery answered, or when presbytery uh, affirmed that it holds to um, you know, a proper understanding of, of our standards and constitution, that's that's very good and we, we appreciate it. But the issue at hand was not exactly Presbytery's views, though in, in a derivative sense, perhaps it was, um, it was relevant, but was, was it at issue was Presbytery's action and yes. inaction in not redressing the matter. Yes. And so when they do receive from the teaching elder and the session, a statement that there are no exceptions or no differences with those relevant portions of the confessional standards, when in the judgment of 
um, the representatives of RPR or the assembly, as well as clearly SJC and their decision. It's like, well, clearly there have to be some differences with our constitutional standards if this was not just sort of allowed, but allowed without um, without without a admission or thought of error. And so the fact yeah. that we didn't, or the fact that, you know, um, that Presbytery didn't get more from the teaching elder and, and the ruling elders on that session, um, it yeah, means just... they really need more. We need more because in reality, that statement that there are no exceptions, no differences, doesn't, it doesn't seem to align with what happened. What right. happened. And it's an important thing to note that you may state a difference with any any portion of our of our uh, Westminster standards, but the Presbytery may say that that difference that you've stated isn't anything more than semantic. So it's not a difference. Uh, but the Presbytery might say it is. It's more than semantic, and then have to grant you an exception. So it, it's it's inappropriate to say, well, I don't have any exceptions. Well, I don't know what that means. And and the Judicial Commission picked up on that. Yeah. This response received by the Presbytery at a meeting that occurred after Presbytery was cited to appear before the SJC is clearly inadequate and requires further response. The session's response neither acknowledges any error nor delineates any specific stated differences that the teaching or ruling elders take to the Westminster Standards or Book of Church Order in order to have the, the viewed alleged practice to be permissible. So we the, the General Assembly's Judicial Commission wants to know, and once those differences sent to RPR, what differences do you have? Because you clearly have differences. Yeah. Even if you have, and, and you know, it's true, they have been granted an exception because Presbytery hasn't granted an exception. So, mm -hmm. but there clearly are differences that have not heretofore been stated. That seems to be the, what the Judicial Commission is, has decided. Yeah, I think it's also, it's, you know, I'm, gl I'm glad you bring up, you bring up again, the, the difference between exceptions granted by Presbytery and differences stated by, stated by members of Presbytery. Because one of one of the things um, sort of that people often don't notice in um, sort of our the sections of our BCO about good faith subscription, where it specifies you know how people are to be examined, is that presbytery is to examine men with respect to any differences that they may have with our right. constitutional standards. So presbytery is within its right to examine someone, ask them very specific questions, and then depending on their answer to those questions, to say that is a difference. You have stated an opinion to us, a belief, a conviction, and that differs from our standards. So Presbytery yes. has the right to judge something as actually a difference. And, you know, I'm in New Jersey Presbytery, and um, within the past couple of years, there was an examination we did where a man didn't think that he had a difference with our standards, but the uh, credentialing committee of Presbytery thought that he did. And they told him, no, this is a difference. You have to state this in your own words. And you know, Presbytery will assess it and perhaps grant an exception. We did. Um, mm -hmm. But Presbytery still was the one who determined, no, this is a difference. You have to state it in your own words so that we can, we can determine these things. And so I think, you know, I'm very happy that, you know, that's what's going to be uh, required now, as it were, of, of Metro New York, that they're going to make this, make this difference come to light. What is at the heart of the difference that allowed this to happen? Yes. And proceed from there. Yes, and and that's and this is something that should have happened years ago. You know, we've seen a number of cases where guys have these clear differences with the standards, but they don't make them known to their presbyteries, uh, either because they have a faulty view of subscription or a faulty view of our confessional standards. But but this is the result of of a lack of understanding of of what ha needs to happen at examination, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully this will have a happy conclusion. And even if these guys maybe they do have a difference now. 
but there'll be an opportunity to instruct them by, by the court. And perhaps there'll be some real repentance of that view that they a- apparently have. And we're not sure what it is because it hasn't been stated, as I understand it. Right. Yeah. And we don't want to we don't want to, you know, try to suggest any particular view that hasn't been stated. No. Know, which brothers with charity. Um, Absolutely. But we but there but there needs to be, you know, greater clarity on this point. Greater yes. clarity so the presbytery can know what know why what, ha- what happened happened, and so that the assembly as well can know why you know presbytery's action was was right or wrong with respect to the to the issue at hand. Um, especially yes. in its um as, as it develops from here. You know, I'm very great, very happy that the SJC is uh, requiring Metro New York to report their um, their actions on this matter to this upcoming assembly, so that we can sort of on a you know on a one year time frame for uh, process in the PCA. In my understanding, is a fairly fast time frame. You know, hearing back within a year that's pretty good. Um, so so I'm happy that we'll get to yes be on top of this, see what's going on. Um, and so that the assembly's conscience can rest easy about, you know, how its presbyteries are running and how its churches are running. Right. And those are, those are a couple of, of, of good points uh, that yeah, we don't know what view the elders and uh, session have toward preaching. Uh, they haven't stated a difference. And so we can only see what they've permitted. And, and now that they seem to understand, um, I want to go back and look at what the uh, what what the SJC said here, but it, it seemed to believe it seemed to suggest uh, that the pastor and session agreed to submit to the will of the presbytery on this matter, not that they have acknowledged an error. And in fact, that brings us to another point um, that SJC lists several specific things, not an exhaustive list, mind you, uh, mm-hmm. but several specific things that the presbytery must do. One, they must seek an admission of error from the teaching elder and session involved in the matter. That's a pretty clear direction, wouldn't you say, Stephen? Uh, I, I think so. I think so. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not as experienced with, uh, I, I, I'm one of the people who enjoys reading the minutes of the SJC every time I get the commissioner's handbook. But, you know, I'm always, I, I always, you know, sometimes struggle maybe with sort of the precise wording of certain things. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that the SJC is requiring these things exactly, but perhaps suggesting them strongly. But perhaps, perhaps they're requiring. You know, as I'm reading the decision right now, the commission concludes concluded rather the best way forward was to follow OMSJC 15-6C by remitting this matter to the presbytery so as to allow presbytery to complete the remaining work in this matter, including such things as. So I guess that is saying you have to do these things and perhaps other things as well. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. and then, that's, great. that's even stronger than I thought. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so another thing would be requiring a statement of specific stated differences that the teaching or ruling elders uh, take to the constitutional documents that led them to conclude uh, that they're that they did not err, if that is their position. So even there, there's there's an understanding that maybe you just didn't think this through. Maybe you didn't have a, a well thought out position that would have allowed a woman to preach. And of course, a woman can't preach any more than a man can give birth. A woman can't preach. A man can't give birth. But maybe you misunderstood what was going on. I, we, we don't know. We want to we want to dwell with brothers in unity and charity, uh, but we have to dwell in good faith and clarity in order uh, to trust and, and to have charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, they must seek evidence of repentance from those who committed the errors that Presbytery identified. The language there was interesting to me, Stephen, that it was evidence of repentance of errors. They don't necessarily, they don't say it was sin. Uh, it would be 
fascinating to uh, to pick the mind of of the court. Uh, and, and did is error synonymous with sin, or or is uh, what what do they mean by error? There, I'm curious. Do you have any insight on that? You've read more of the SJC than I have, I'm sure. I I don't have any insight there. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't and I don't really want to speculate either. Um, I don't want to speculate either on that. So I, I don't have much for you. Sorry. I'll think about it though. That is, a, I didn't notice that as well. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. Well, I'm, I'm just here to be helpful. <laughs> and then four, uh, determining how the congregation will be informed of Presbyterian's conclusion that the session had erred in its action. And that I think will be uh, crucial. Mm -hmm. uh, that, um, that could actually be a decisive turning point in this issue that the, if the session is willing to acknowledge not only to the presbytery, but to the, the sheep uh, whose care uh, is entrusted to them, that we, we, er we erred here. Uh, we made a big mistake. Um, so much so that the entire General Assembly uh, thought, it, thought it was worthy of going before the Judicial Commission. Yeah. Uh, now, you're on RPR. What do you think RPR should be looking for in addition to these four things? Um, so th th these are these are the excellent things that the that the SJC is is, is requiring um, uh, requiring um, Metro New York to, to, to do to report to, to RPR for this upcoming assembly. Um, in addition to that, uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if if responses are, are given on some of these uh, more inquiry-based points, you know, what is the, what are the state of differences, you know, to see how Presbytery handles those differences. Um, are those differences, if there, if there are actual differences, are, does Presbytery judge them properly um, according to the constitution um, or do they err with respect to the judgments they, they make? Um, similarly, you know, statements of repentance, you know, what, how does Presbytery receive or handle such a statement? Um, how does Presbytery handle yeah, any sort of just the further steps here. You know, there's there's yeah. certain possibilities in the responses or uh, yeah, the responses to any of these four points that in theory would warrant um, process, judicial process. And so does Presbytery, if, it, if it's, you know, clear that process ought to be commenced, did Presbytery commence process? Yes. Or did Presbytery, you know, um, uh, sort of conclude the matter? And when you say process, you mean bring charges. Is that yes, uh, judicial process, institute process? Yeah, uh, under... The 40 to 5 thing is like this weird sort of judicial process, but also not sort of judicial process. It's it's the SJC is addressing a matter that is not technically judicial. Yes, it's uh, it's investigative. But it's still the SJC. So it has these like it has it's following the OMSJC in theory and has all this sort of these judicial errors about them. But it's still different than charges prosecutor process. Right, right. It, I, I would liken it to, you know, for members, there's 31-2, we a report about a member's Christian character. Well, 40-5 deals with courts, because courts are members of other courts. And so there's an investigation uh, that, that will be conducted as to the court's submission to and obedience to our constitutional standards. Um, well, let me ask you this. Um, why does this matter? Uh, do you think the Presbytery would have addressed these errors without having been called on these issues? And and you've already addressed it, I think, in, in some way that it took someone from outside the Presbytery to throw a, a red flag uh, in order for the Presbytery to take a second look at this. Yeah. And again, I don't want to, I'm going to try and 
try and keep things as non-speculative as possible. Sure. Um, so, so, um, I, wh why does this matter? Um, why does this matter? Why does the 40 five matter? You know, should yeah. there were, there are, I guess my question, there were arguments on the floor of the assembly that I remember where members of the president were saying, Hey, just let us deal with this internally. Please don't send it to the judicial commission. Why does it matter that it went to the judicial commission as yeah. opposed to just side with an exception of substance and move on? Yeah. So I think that, that, that's helpful. Thanks for clarifying the question. So I think, sorry, it was, it was a bad question. No, no, you're, you're good. I'm bad at, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb very often. <laughs> <laughs> The brain, the brain doesn't work quite as well as it used to in my, in my, um, my, my late, my old age, my older age. So 40-5, um, what is, what is the, what is the payoff of, of using it? Why is it helpful? Well, the, one of the reasons that this was raised through the 40-5 mechanism is because the presbytery concluded the matter. So they, they did the first round investigation where they found out what happened at the church, heard the teaching elders views, and they just, they didn't do anything. Um, they didn't act in that sense. I mean, yeah. they did the investigation, they discussed it, they debated it, but there was no action taken with respect to the matter. And so this vehicle of, of review and control, as well as this particular means of, of, of exercising review and control through 40-5, ensured that the presbytery was instructed to take particular actions to remedy the situation. Um, as to why this would come to the SJC and why it was, why it was helpful for it to come to the SJC versus um, responding, uh, res responding um, directly with, to the committee, uh, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, one of the reasons for that, and if people have been in the PCA for longer than maybe four or five years now, um, they'll know that at the uh, assembly in St. Louis, there was a matter that was coming from RPR where a presbytery had, or two presbyteries, I believe, had for at least once or twice disagreed with RPR's recommendation and the assembly's recommendation and told the assembly that the assembly was wrong in its citation and that the presbytery didn't actually commit error. And so for some issues, it perhaps makes sense for that process to happen, especially issues that don't rise to the level of what happened in Metro New York as well as issues where there's perhaps much greater uh, unclarity on what happened. So a large fraction of the exception of substance that come from RPR relate to things that are just unclear. You know, it's unclear, you know, this difference was stated unclearly. It needs to be stated more clearly. So please tell us a more clear difference. What really needs to be done is, what needs to be done is more reporting than anything else. Um, whereas what happened in Metro was very, it was a, the report was very credible. It was very clear, and it was very severe. So it would it was best to handle it quickly, again on that PCA scale of quickly, yes. um, because it's you know very scandalous. I think you know the the the, the matter that, that that happened there very scandalous thing. Does the PCA have women preachers? Exactly. Well, you know, someone asked me that question. It's like, well, I really wish I didn't serve an RPR because then I could give a particular answer. Well, and we, we've seen. Uh, Groups of churches, uh, I think a network in South Florida, left over the, over the issue of they wanted to allow women to imitate preaching. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a church outside of Nashville that wants to ordain uh, or have women elders. Uh, you know, the the pastor's wife is going around imitating preaching, and they they've left the PCA over this. Uh, so the question, you know, constitutionally, we do not allow women preachers. Uh, we don't believe in such any more than we do unicorns or Reformed Baptists, uh, but. We have women who are in our pulpits 
imitating preaching and PCA women who were uh, going around imitating preaching. And, and, and that has, that, that can't be, that cannot, we cannot stay together. We cannot dwell in unity when we have this uh, lack of clarity. Yeah. Uh, well, know, SG, but this is, this is not a, you know, we reviewed the minutes of every presbytery this past year um, that submitted minutes, which I think this year, I think, did every presbytery, I think, I think every presbytery submitted minutes this year. Um, and this was not, this is not a widespread problem in my understanding at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, little leaven leavens the whole lump. And it's important, mm. especially matters, you know, that are this important, uh, this controversial. Um, it's important to sort of handle these things clearly. Yes. Um, and I don't want to, not decisively in some sort of harsh way, but but where it's, where, where the action is not drawn out unnecessarily, right. because the longer it's drawn out, the more confusion is going to be sown, and perhaps the more that the error can propagate. And 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 further disunity, uh, further mm -hmm. lack of trust. Uh, now there was uh, there was an addendum we might call it three more pages added to the decision. Yeah. Uh, written by uh, teaching elder uh, Sean Lucas and ruling elder uh, Jane Nykirk, um, and where in which they expressed some uh, question as to the propriety of this matter coming via BCO forty dash five. Yes. Uh, in the matter before us, they say, uh, the first two steps in the process set forth in RAO 16-10 were omitted. The 50th General Assembly did not first find an exception of substance, nor was Metro New York Presbytery given the opportunity to respond to such an exception or to redress the identified problem before being cited. Um, now, as we said earlier, the RPR, the Review of Presbytery Records committee is not required to follow every step. Um, you know, I remember when I was in fourth grade, I had Mrs. Rokas was her name, wonderful teacher. Um, and she had little uh, envelopes on, on uh, one of the closets in her classroom. And everybody had a green card in, in those envelopes and uh, with, with, your, with your name on it. And um, you started the day with a green card. <laughs> Actually, you started the day with an an empty envelope, and uh, you you got a the first disciplinary issue that you had. You would typically get a green card. That's how it was. You, you started with an empty envelope, and if you if she had to correct you, you would get a green card, which was just a warning. There was no consequence. But then it then if you had to put a yellow card in, you lost half your recess, and a red card. You yeah. know there was there was three stars. Well, at the end of the day, uh, it was you know we were packing up our uh, backpacks. And I was chasing uh, one of my uh, friends. He was Bosnian. I forget what his name was. <laughs> Nadir or something like that. One of my, I was chasing him around the room. And Mrs. Rokas said, Ryan, go back there and put a yellow card in your box or in your, in your envelope. And I said, but Mrs. Rokas, where's my warning? And she said, Ryan, you don't need a warning about running in the classroom. You have gone straight to, you know, tomorrow you're going to lose half your recess. So I, I wonder if there's some sort of analogy for that, uh, that drawn out illustration there, that you don't need to be warned not to let a woman imitate preaching on a Lord's Day morning prior to the observance of the Lord's Supper. So I, I will say I had no idea where that was going. And then it landed in <laughs> the spot. Like that was, that was, that was masterful. I was on the edge of my seat. just like, wait, how, 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 and then boom. And it worked. <laughs> it really worked. 
Um, I got to listen to some of your sermons. I'll, I'll find your church website and see if see if that's how your sermon illustrations work. Maybe I'll steal some. Um, well, there, if you have trouble sleeping, my sermons may help you also. <laughs> there, there is definitely something uh, to the illustration you just you just shared. Um, uh, this the the argument of the the, the, the the addendum to the decision. The argument in that addendum is somewhat. Uh, technical. And so I'm going to try my best to not just get into like diagramming sentences of the RAO, because that's sort of how I thought when I was reading it through and I was, I was thinking through their reasoning, which, which I disagree with, but I, I respect both men who drafted it enormously. I mean, teaching out of Lucas's book on the PCA is, that's a great book. And Jane Eikirk is like, when Jane Eikirk stands up, Dr. Eikirk, excuse me, stands up at the assembly, I know that what is about to be said is going to be of great value, even if it begins with, you know, forgive my ignorance, or perhaps I'm just misunderstanding some, 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 something that suggests that he's not just brilliant and competent when he's clearly both of those things. Um, but, but so everything in the RAO and everything in the OMSJC, Operating Manual, Manual of the Standing Judicial Commission, those things are subsidiary to, to the Constitution, to the VCO, to the confession and the catechisms. And so an important piece to keep in mind with, with respect to RPR's action, because in a sense, the, the SJC expressed its doubt, not as to whether the assembly can raise a 40-5, can receive a recommendation that something be handled under that provision and then vote for it or again, then vote for it. It wasn't raising issue with respect to that. The issue was, can RPR raise 40-5 recommendations from minutes. So it was a fairly specific argument that was made in that supplement. And 16-7, clearly you can make any recommend, you could recommend the presbytery be dissolved. Well, so in in, in theory, yes. You, yeah, um, in theory, yes. In theory, now, you, would you do that on this case? Well, probably not. Well, and, and but you could. To speak to that, I mean, over the past several assemblies, the RPR has recommended REO changes. And the assembly's passed them um, at the 49th and the 48th, in my remembrance. Um, the assembly passed those those REO changes. So we so the RPR does have broad power yes. to recommend things. The, and the you know there's a there's a presbytery um, up north that you know is, is down to four or five uh, churches that every year they have several pages worth of exceptions of substance. They they last year there were a number of meetings where they couldn't get a quorum. I could see a situation such as that, where the RPR might say, we recommend that this presbytery be dissolved. So you can make any recommendation uh, according to the RAO. Well, I would, I, so I, I agree with, I agree with that interpretation that, that oh, has broad power to recommend things, enormously broad power to recommend things. Because and at the end of the day, these are just recommendations. The assembly's affirmed this power by voting for the recommendations of RPR, where right. they're supposed to be changing the rules. Um, which is a, it's not a trivial thing to change the rules by which no. the assembly operates. I will say that my, my understanding of, because because the, 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 the decision uh, and the explanatory note in the decision doesn't cite that specific provision of RAO 16, which governs RPR 167D, where the report is to contain any other recommendations to the assembly, and therefore probably doesn't interpret that provision very broadly. But what they do think, or what they, what they do seem to, to, to believe or argue in is, is that um, is, is that the assemblies or that, that RPR's disposition of minutes is 
has has it, it, it can only dispose of minutes under very specific rules under uh, that are set forth in 16-6C. And so those are the sort of the sections that are really noted in their argument, which is 16-6C and 16-10C. And in order to understand why 16-10C, which you brought up, which is about that back and forth, you know, you know, Arker skipped a few steps is what you, how you summarized it, how, how they summarized it. In order to understand why that argument doesn't work, you need to understand why the argument in 16.6 doesn't work, because what they argue from 16.6 is that the press, that, that RPR can only recommend that, that, that actions or inactions of presbytery be handled or cited or, or, or judged as exceptions of substance, form, or notation. There's nothing else that, pres that RPR can do. And, now, and that, that's just not what the text, in my judgment, says. And the Assembly's judgment. As I, as I recall, there was a protest that made that same argument uh, raised by a, a, a wonderful, a faithful father in the denomination. Uh, but, and uh, I, I emailed the State of Clerk's Office asking for the Assembly's response to the protest. A commission was appointed. I won't tell you who made the motion to appoint a commission. Uh, but <laughs> I, under, I understand that commission has finished its work, but yeah. for uh, whatever reason, by faith has not uh, published that commission's yeah. uh, response yet. Uh, but the Assembly heard that argument and did not agree with it. Yes, it, it did not. I, again, I think the it, it's it's one of the things that was notable to me about the decision and it's re that supplemental piece to the decision is that the argument made there is in a lot of ways very different than the argument raised in the protest, um, which is just, I don't know, it was, just, it was interesting to me that there's different ways of being concerned about how the assembly handled this particular, this particular matter. Um, but, but REO 16-6C says this, the findings of the committee of RPR with respect to the minutes of each presbytery shall be noted under the following categories as appropriate. And that last phrase, that qualifier there, as appropriate, I think really does have the force of, you know, making sure that the RPR committee only calls something that deserves to be an exception of substance, an exception of substance, mm. only calls something that deserves to be an exception of form, an exception of form. Um, because, you know, RPR might be, for example, really annoyed with page numbering that is you know incorrect like ludicrously annoyed with it and that we might want to call it an exception of form but that that provision that tells us we can't if presbytery wants to have bad page numbering it's within their right and we can't tell them to fix it we can recommend right. it we can give advice to their clerk but we can't force them to do anything and then we can't elevate that further to an exception of substance and so exceptions of form, substance, and notations are, are described quite, quite, quite well in 16-6C, 1, 2, and 3. And so if something falls under the description of exception of substance, then you should and have to, on RPR, call it an exception of substance. But the issue with our matter from Metro New York is that the judgment of the read team of RPR and of the assembly was that this isn't an exception of substance. It would be is it merely an exception it would of substance? Be inappropriate to call it that because it is more severe. It more properly falls under the terminology used in 40-5, specifically grossly unconstitutional proceedings. Yeah. So you have an exception of substance, a serious irregularity 
or apparent violation of Scripture. This was this was not just an irregularity. This was a grossly unconstitutional action. Yeah, and and, and I'll acknowledge there, there's there is a, an issue with this paragraph of the RAO. This paragraph, you know, sixteen six C one does contradict the Constitution. It does contradict the BCO. Because if you look at that, there's there's several things that constitute an exception of substance, Ser apparent violations of scripture, serious irregularities from the Constitution and uh, of the PCA, um, actions out of accord with the deliverance of the GA, matters of impropriety, and then important delinquencies. That phrase, important delinquencies, appears in 40-5, and 40-5 gives very specific instructions on how important delinquencies and grossly unconstitutional proceedings are to be heard. And, and disposed of. They're not to be disposed of by telling the presbytery what, what the exception is and then receiving a response and then responding to the response. That's not how those things are to be handled. So important delinquencies, I'm, I'm putting forth an overture to my presbytery soon at our, our March meeting that is going to try and modify that phrase to, to get rid of, to change it so that it's not in contradiction to our constitution. Mm. Um, but, but, the the because 40-5 tells tells any presbyter that if something arises to a particular level, this is specifically the way you handle it. If it comes to you in the form of report and a credible report, it has to be credible. And what is a more credible report than the minutes of a presbytery? Their own even, minutes. Yes, their own minutes. And even so, the way that the language, you know. When, when the BCO tells presbyteries to submit their minutes to the GA, it says that the presbytery shall report those things to the General Assembly. So it's clear that minutes constitute a report. The historic text of 40-5, which was amended simply for to, to clarify its meaning a number of years ago, included minutes of presbytery as a place from which such a report could arise. And so reading 16-6C as telling RPR that they only have three, three categories um, is not what the text says and would in fact actually require RPR to recommend unconstitutional actions to the GA because if RPR had to call what happened in Metro New York simply an exception of substance, even though the vast majority of people on that committee thought it was much worse than that, well, then they'd be calling a 40-5 something less. And 40-5 is to be handled in a particular way. Um, so, so that argument from SJC doesn't carry carry the day for me. Mm -hmm. RPR seems to be able to make that 40-5 judgment and recommendation. Well, and let, me, when, let me... Oh, go ahead. No, and when you look at what they say with respect to 1610, where they say RPR has skipped steps, 1610C... It's fairly clear from 1610C that what's being addressed there is specifically how exceptions of substance, which naturally speaking, don't rise to a level of grossly unconstitutional proceedings, how that something that is a lower level can become that higher level. And it only becomes that greater thing after that back and forth in which there's refusal to remedy the action that the General Assembly requests remedy of and so to fix the stalemate so to speak and sort of in a sense to tell the presbytery you have to listen <laughs> a little bit uh it's then elevated so to speak to something more serious 
because the circumstances surrounding its disposition make it more serious. The thing itself is not as serious as a 40-5. So I think that part of the argument also misses the mark. Hmm. And let me uh, push back on something you said earlier. Uh, perhaps citing with an exception of substance and a 40 dash and, and then referring by means of 40 dash five would not be mutually exclusive that you, you, that this activity in Metro New York or this event should have been an exception of substance and warrant a referral to the judicial commission. Or do you see those as mutually exclusive? Perhaps I've, I've not thought of that at, at any great length. Because I, I do see a strong, at least a, a, a clear distinction in terms of the severity of an error as described in 40-5 versus RAO 166C1, I think, is the citation. They, they do seem to be sufficiently different that you handle one one way, you handle the other the other way. Um, yeah, so I think, I, I, but that's a, that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I, I expect. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if there are two two um, esteemed members of the SJC uh, dissented from this judgment. Um, I wonder if they dissented because of this supplemental reasoning. If so, I'd be interested to see what their dissents are, if any are published. And then what any sort of concurrence from other members who agreed with the decision or any responses to any dissents. I'm interested in seeing the, the fullness of this case play out. Um, and I expect that this upcoming year at, at RPR, there's going to be some discussion about the relationship between 40-5 and 16-6C and how to sort of parse that, that understanding of exceptions of substance and then something greater. Because one of the, I, I don't want anyone to think, and I don't want myself to think this either, that, that, there, that, that the reason why there's so much confusion, I think, surrounding this issue is because of any sort of a sort of malevolent motive. Uh, the, the issue, I think, is that 40-5 has been used, you know, you can count on like one or two hands the number of times this provision has been used in the history of the PCA. Like it is not a frequently used provision, praise God, because it, it deals with very serious things. And so the fact that our BCO is updated so regularly, our REO is updated so regularly, things that don't get handled regularly, they sometimes get lost in certain ways or, or muddled in certain ways through that amending amendment process. Because you're not considering every possible 40-5 situation when you're amending how RPR is to handle minutes. Because again, RPR rarely deals with 40-5. And my understanding was that when the state of clerk receives a 40-5 regarding an action of a presbytery, he does refer it to the Review of Presbytery Records uh, Committee. He does not send it to the Standing Judicial Commission. Well, so so in my, and so I, so that, that is true. That is true. Um, in my understanding, a few years ago, and I think this, I think the Northwest Georgia case that was also handled under 40-5 by this most recent assembly, and the decision was also recently released to the parties, um, I think sometime, some, somewhere in that case, um, when the parties who eventually reported a 40-5 to the assembly, they initially started, they, they tried various, you know, procedural judicial means of, of redressing their issue. Um, and in submitting their 40-5, I believe the SJC determined itself that the, the, the 40-5 should first be sent to RPR 
and then sent to the SJC only if RPR recommends proceeding and only if the assembly then agrees with that recommendation. Um, I think I think Howie Donahoe, I think, disagreed with this and had some very comprehensive and impressive judicial history to back up his argument. Um, I still think that RPR should probably get 40-5s. Um, some people on RPR don't think so, or they think that the process needs to be cleaned up because again, it's 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 a bit messy, it's a bit, it's a bit muddy. It's not like a standard, you know, investigation, charges, prosecutor judgment and then appeal or complaint you know it's, it's not that thing that is the bread and butter um of the sjc um and of the lower courts really it's just not as common yes yes and there's a, a comment in the addendum that nothing in this analysis in any way comments on how bcr 40-5 reports that arise in some manner other than uh, the annual review of presbytery records yeah. should be handled now that question is not before us so um this certainly was unique, but I say that, and we had two situations uh, in which this was this was done um, just this last year. So perhaps this will be something that, of necessity, will be smoothed out and clarified in our procedural uh, manual. Yeah, I, I hope so because it, it is a it is a it's a very it's it's a powerful mechanism constitutionally. It really is. It gets something to the SJC very quickly. Yes. Um, and so it's something that, you know, one could read the SJC's decision and their analysis as um, sort of conservative in the best way. You know, like this, this provision has been rarely employed. When it has been employed, it's not yet, it's not been employed by RPR. And so we are circumspect about it, dubious about it. Um, again, because the, the PCA is designed, so to speak, um, to have more power located in the presbyteries than the assembly. Um, but at the same time, I think the text of the BCO and the RAO allows for this to be used. And there are times in the life of the church where the assembly does need to make a clear statement and take clear action with respect to a matter, a matter before presbytery. You know, the, the last time the PCA, in my analysis of the minutes, um, handled the issue of a woman preaching. It was about 20, a little more than 20 years ago in, I believe, Tennessee Valley um, at, at a large church there that has Cedar now- Springs or something like that. Yeah, yes. it's now in the EPC, I believe. Um, and if you read, I remember reading the minutes surrounding that case and I was like, what, what is going on here? Um, there, there was so much confusion, so much mess. And I think I think one of the reasons, perhaps, why that forty five was such an uh, attractive option for handling this is because the last time this matter was handled, it took years. The church left the denomination. There was I don't think any actual discipline was done. And, you know, this is you know, and I'm not suggesting that you know we we want any discipline done on anyone right now in any church in Metro New York. It's just saying that like that was handled so poorly. It was so messy. In the early 2000s, 40-5, in our judgment, um, and you know, I, I argued for the 40-5 in RPR committee. I helped draft the language of the 40-5 in the committee. It seemed like a cleaner way of handling things, not drawing it out, shortening the time, making yeah. clearer the parties, um, getting things to the SJC, and not constraining the SJC in the same way that complaint and appeal 
constrain the SJC. Yes, and I, I think uh, the SJC issued a strong, clear, but also restrained uh, ruling on this matter uh, that will promote unity, uh, mm-hmm. especially uh, as as we see uh, Metro New York Presbytery uh, coming alongside and uh, using uh, her powers uh, uh, to to uh, accomplish those four things at least uh, that the Standard Judicial Commission has instructed them to report to the Review of Presbytery Records Committee. Well, Stephen, thank you very much uh, for your time and sharing your analysis of of this particular case. Anything else uh, as we close up? Um, just just maybe one, one final point on that last block of text you brought up about not commenting on 40-5s arising through means other than review of records. You know, it, it would be, and this might be too strong a statement. I would find it quite strange if RPR were not allowed to generate a 40-5. But if I, as a member of that committee, wrote a letter to the committee saying raise a 40-5 with respect to Metro New York on the basis of their minutes, then that would just be fine, I guess. Um, it it, it just yeah. strikes me as it would be it would be strange if that were the case. But if the if it's determined by the assembly that that is the case, then you know. I guess next time someone will have to write a letter. Yes, yes. It, one does wonder what would be gained by not allowing a committee to do this, but any individual private person or any session or any presbytery uh, could request a 40-5 uh, reference. Yeah, and, and especially RPR as, as one, of the, one of the three committees um, of the assembly that are you know, designed to be the most representative, nominating overtures and RPR where you can either have one or two, two for overtures, one for nominating, one for RPR um, from each presbytery. So highly, highly representative bodies. It seems like the ideal body, frankly, for determining if something is grossly unconstitutional, because that's what they spend hours and days doing when they meet for three days in you know, late May, early June. Um, and it's a everyone in the PCA, every presbytery is allowed to send someone there. So, so very representative, um, yes. a great deal of attention to detail there. So I, I, I'd be surprised if that were, that were the way things were. Thanks for joining the conversation on the Westminster Standard, which is the podcast of Jude 3. For additional resources or to make a donation, visit our website, jude3pca.org. Starting in March, the Westminster Standard podcast will transition to a fortnightly distribution schedule. But please come back next week as I'm joined by Sarah Morris, Zach Groff, and my own wife, Anne, to discuss the Jesus Calling literature that is so popular outside of the PCA. We'll take up the question of why this book is appealing and discuss why so few in the PCA were willing to condemn its clear errors. And we'll weigh in on a proposed overture that would call the entire Presbyterian Church in America to study questions such as these related to the work of former PCA missionary Sarah Young. Thank you.